According to the Bible, great armies from the east and the west will gather and assemble on this plain. There will be threats to the power of the Antichrist from the south. He will also move to destroy or revive Babylon in the east before finally turning his forces toward Jerusalem to subdue and destroy it. As he and his armies move on Jerusalem, God will intervene and Jesus Christ will return to rescue his chosen people, Israel. This week on Connecting the Gap, we're going to continue our study on prophecies of the Bible as we continue on into the book of Joel. We're going to get back into that right after this. Hello and welcome once again to Connecting the Gap. This is a podcast and I'm your host, Daniel Moore. Thank you so much for joining me once again this week as we continue on through our study on the prophecies of the Bible. Quite some time back, we started in Genesis and we are working our way all the way through to Revelation. We've made it to Joel, to the minor prophets at this point. We're going to be touching on Joel and getting into Amos this week as we continue our study. As I said before, thank you again for being here. And if you would like to know more about my ministry, if this is the first time you've came across Connecting the Gap, you can go to my website, connectingthegap.net, and there you'll see all the podcasts that have been uploaded over the last year. Also, there's a blog there you can subscribe to as well. And we're also on YouTube and Rumble now, so you can also subscribe on those two platforms if that is your preference of social media. So we're all over the place. There's no reason that you shouldn't be able to follow us and stay up to date and current with all the Bible studies that we do here at Connecting the Gap. And of course, we have been doing an extensive study at this point, and it's going to go on for quite some time here as we continue studying on the prophecies of the Bible and get into Revelation. We'll do a pretty full in-depth study of Revelation once we get to it. So uh, thank you again for your prayers. I do appreciate that so much. Please share my podcast around on your social media if you would please do so. And if somebody else that you think might benefit would enjoy this type of content, uh, please uh, share and let other people know about Connecting the Gap. Usually I'm about 15 to 20 minutes long once a week, so it doesn't really take a real long time to listen. And so if uh, it would benefit anybody, though, please share and also subscribe. And I appreciate that as you help me endeavor to fulfill the plan that God's put in my life as I endeavor to go through this ministry of Connecting the Gap. Well, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get into this week's study, and we're going to be continuing in Joel, as I said before. We're in Joel chapter 2 at this point, and we're going to be reading verses 28 and 29, where it talks about a bountiful supply. The scriptures say, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Afterward reveals when this prophecy will completely be fulfilled. It will be after what Joel just said about the defeat of the northern army, which we talked about last week, and after what he said about Israel beginning to praise the name of the Lord. After these things, God will pour out his spirit, or the Holy Spirit, on all people. 
pour out means to give his spirit with great abundance. And all flesh means that all those who praise him, regardless of their age, gender, race, nationality, or status in life. Everyone is included in that statement of all flesh. And God's reason for doing this will be the so that people will be able to, number one, prophesy, that's foretell events. Number two, receive revelations in dreams or images that occur while one is asleep. And thirdly, receive messages in visions. That's images that occur while one is in a trance-like state. In short, the time is coming when an abundant supply of God's Spirit will be given to all of His people, and it will not matter if they are young or old, male or female, Gentile or Jew, rich or poor. These gifts will verify the presence of the Holy Spirit and identify those who possess them as God's people. Although Joel said God will give these prophetic gifts to his people, the Bible warns us to beware of false prophets and those who use dreams and false visions to pull people away from God. The Apostle Peter made it plain that God began fulfilling this on the day of Pentecost, but that was just a hint of things to come. The northern army had not yet attacked Israel, and the Jews as a nation were not praising the name of the Lord. This prophecy will not be completely fulfilled until the millennium. It will begin with the Jews confessing their sins at Petra, or wherever they flee to in the wilderness, and carry over and to the millennial kingdom. It will be a great demonstration of God's grace. The Jews who have rebelled against God for so long and did so much to contribute to the death of his son will be among those who receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Joel chapter 3 verses 9 through 16, there is a D-Day, or should it be a D-Day for Armageddon? The scriptures say, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war, wake up the mighty men, let all of the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears, let the weak say, I am strong, assemble and come all you nations and gather together all around, cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened, come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark, and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. This passage calls for unnamed messengers to fan out all over the world to advise the nations to prepare for war. The text does not say so, but these messengers are probably the three unclean spirits which were mentioned in the book of Revelation. You can read about those in Revelation 16, 13-14. They are told to wake up the mighty men and to assemble the men of war. This war will exempt no one. Those who would normally be excused from military service will not be excused from this great battle. Troops will be mobilized from all over the world. They will gather to attack Jerusalem and to challenge the armies of the Lord. They will assemble in a place called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It means the Valley of God's Judgment. The heavenly host will be told to put in the sickle or a large knife used for harvesting crops because the earth is ripe for harvest. They will be told to trample the armies because the world is overflowing with wickedness. Multitudes, great multitudes will be there. They will have to face their maker. It will be the day of the Lord. 
The sun and moon will grow dark, and the stars will diminish in brightness. Darkness will cover the land. Jesus will rush out of Jerusalem to meet this great army. There will be a terrible earthquake and vibrations in the sky. The Messiah will deliver or save the Jews from this great army, and his people will be saved. The text does not tell us what will happen to the troops, but elsewhere we learn that their dead bodies will provide a great feast for the birds of prey. Randall Price was quoted, Earthquakes happen frequently in the Jerusalem area, and evidence indicates that the Mount of Olives is set to split should an earthquake of sufficient size strike the region. Micah chapter 4 verse 3 says, The people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. But we must remember that that is something to be done during the millennium when Christ reigns on earth and nations are at peace. Until then, the nations should do the opposite so they can be prepared to defend themselves. Why is that? Because we live in a time of wars and rumors of wars, as Matthew 24, 6 has forewarned us. There is wide agreement among prophetic scholars that this prophecy refers to the Battle of Armageddon, which will take place during the tribulation period. God appears to be taunting Satan, the Antichrist, and their supporters here. He is saying, you are weak. But you think you are strong. You think your tanks, missiles, and multitudes of troops will make quick work of the outnumbered and outgunned Jews. I will show you what real power is. Imagine the look on their faces when they go out to kill a few helpless Jews and they suddenly see the Son of God coming in the clouds with the heavenly armies. Who can imagine the terror they will experience? Most of the crops and farmland will be destroyed during the tribulation period. Farmers and farm workers will be few and far between. Poverty will be the rule of the day, but the situation will be completely reversed during the millennium. During the millennium, there's a couple of facts here on Jesus as king. In Joel chapter 2, verses 21 through 27, it says that Israel will have crops, rain, and food in abundance. The second thing that Joel says about Jesus as king in the millennium, chapter 3, verse 17 through 21, it says, Because of God's presence, Israel will prosper. So that concludes Joel, and we're going to go ahead and move on into Amos on this week's edition of Connecting the Gap. And we're going to start with Amos chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. We're going to talk about out of the frying pan and into the fire. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, There shall be wailing in all the streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas! They shall call the farmer to mourning, and skillful lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards there will be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord! For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, and a bear met him. Or as though he went to the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? Now some say there won't be a tribulation period, but the Lord says people everywhere, people in all the streets and public places, such as cities, and towns, the farmers or those in the country, the hired mourners or those paid to cry or lament, and those in the vineyards or the laborers will wail. That's just a loud, painful cry, such as a death wail. There will be bitter weeping when God passes through their midst in judgment. Many do not understand the seriousness or severity of the day of the Lord. Some very piously wish that it would arrive, but that is a mistake. 
The tribulation period will be a day of darkness, not light. A period of tribulation, not joy. It will be a time when danger will surround every person, encircle every human being, and there will be no way for anyone to escape. People will flee one danger and encounter another greater peril. Every place on earth will be under siege. It will be like running from a hungry lion and falling into the clutches of a ferocious bear, like leaning upon a wall to rest and putting your hand upon a poisonous snake. When Hurricanes Katrina and Wilma struck the United States, large numbers of people tried to ride out the winds and rain. A few didn't survive, but many who did faced floods, polluted drinking water, snakes, looting, and such. Then, before the floods were gone, many ran out of food. But the stores and gas stations were closed. The roads were blocked. The electricity didn't work. The telephones and cell phones didn't work. Emergency workers didn't know where they were. They couldn't get to them even if they found out, and the hospitals were cut off or out of supplies. It was one problem after another. Well, that's the way it's going to be during the tribulation period, only it's going to be much worse. And instead of a small number of deaths, it will be two-thirds to three-fourths of the population of the earth in just seven years. The good news is disasters sometimes call people to change their life, and that's what will happen during the tribulation period when multitudes get saved. Thomas Ice was quoted saying, Armageddon is the last major event on the prophetic timeline before the establishment of the Millennium Kingdom, Christ's 1,000-year reign on the earth. Armageddon isn't an event people should desire or anticipate with joy because it will bring death and destruction. It is, however, a definite future military conflict that will not and cannot be avoided by any amount of negotiation. Among prophetic scholars, there is no disagreement on the timing of this prophecy. It is plainly stated that this is a reference to the day of the Lord. In Amos chapter 8 verse 9, it states, And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. In that day in the scripture is a phrase often used in the Bible to refer to the day of the Lord or to the millennium, the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. The day of the Lord will be a time of unusual events. One of those unusual events will be a noon sunset. The earth will go from broad daylight to total darkness at midday. Number one, God is the one who separated light from darkness. That was in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. God covered the land of Egypt with total darkness for three days in Exodus 10, 21 through 23. God made the sun and the moon stand still in the middle of the sky for nearly a whole day in Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. And God covered the land of Israel with darkness for three hours when Jesus was crucified in Matthew 27, 45. So there should be no reason to doubt the fact that God can create this darkness in that horrible day. When the fifth angel pours out his vial during the tribulation period, darkness will cover the kingdom of the Antichrist, causing his followers to gnaw their tongues in pain. This will be appropriate punishment for those who use their tongues to blaspheme God. We should not delude ourselves about the tribulation period because it will be a time of unparalleled and inescapable danger. 
Critics offer many different interpretations of this verse. Some say the darkness is just a metaphor or a literary device when one thing stands for something else. Some say it refers to an eclipse during the lifetime of Amos. One writer says smoke will darken the sun. Another thinks this is a reference to the darkness of sin coming into young lives. Still another thinks this refers to the untimely death of the ungodly. But all of these interpreters overlook the plain truth of what Jesus and several of the prophets said, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. That's in Matthew 24, verse 29. Where is the explanation for the moon not giving its light in all of these different interpretations? Jesus placed the darkened sun at the end of the tribulation period when he said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That scripture is in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29. Wrapping up Amos, we're going to jump to Amos chapter 9 verses 11 through 15. There's a hope for the future that Amos speaks of in these verses. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed, the mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel and shall build the way cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them, and they shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I've given them, says the Lord your God. Here in the scripture, verse 11, on that day refers to the millennium. God will do four things at that time. He will restore David's fallen tent, which means he will restore the house of David, a reference to the reign of Christ on earth. Number two, he will repair its broken places, which means he will correct the mistakes the leaders of Israel have made while ruling the nation. And number three, he will restore its ruins, which means he will rebuild the towns and cities. And fourth, he will rebuild it as it used to be, which means he will rebuild Israel according to the instructions he gave David when he reigned. Possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name is usually interpreted to mean God will elevate Israel to the head of the nations. To emphasize the certainty of this, the writer adds that this is a declaration of the Lord. It will be a time of bountiful crops and abundant harvest. The Jews will return to the land. They will rebuild the cities, live in them, and never be put off again. Billy K. Smith and Frank Page said, God's forgiveness of Israel will be permanent. His blessings will be constant. Restoration of covenant blessings is an unconditional promise. Once and for all time, God promised to plant Israel on their ground, never to be uprooted again. The land would be theirs as a gift from God, says the Lord your God, is the closing messenger formula, guaranteeing the promises based on the sure word of Israel's covenant God. God says, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. And he says, I will plant Israel in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them. If the return of the Jews is God's doing, and if he has declared that the land belongs to them, what should happen to those nations that oppose him? If the nations choose to be willingly ignorant of God's will, is a tribulation period justified? 
Such famous Bible cities as Ashdod, Ashkelon, Beersheba, Jaffa, which is now Tel Aviv, and Jerusalem have already been rebuilt. Flowers, grain, cotton, tomatoes, peppers, and more are now growing on rich farmland that was barren just a few years ago. Trees loaded with lemons, limes, oranges, grapefruits, tangerines, and other fruit now cover the once bleak hills. The stage is being set for the fulfillment of this prophecy. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week and also going to wrap up Joel and Amos in our studies on the prophecies of the Bible. Next week, as we come back, we will jump into Obadiah and probably get into Zephaniah as we continue on through the minor prophets in the Old Testament as we're cruising our way all the way to Revelation in our Bible study. This is a study based on a study by Damon Duck. And uh, hopefully you guys have really been enjoying this so far. It's pretty awesome just to go through the Bible and see everything that God predicted and how it's already happened, knowing that the other stuff that's been predicted will happen because God's word is always truth. And we know that what he says will happen. He keeps his promises. Well, once again, you can visit my website at connectingthegap.net and you can subscribe to my podcast on all different platforms. Uh, As I stated last week for the first time and at the beginning of this week, I am on Rumble now. So if you use Rumble as one of your social media networks, then you can subscribe there as well. And also have a blog and YouTube channel also. So you can find all of that at my website at connectingthegap.net. Once again, I'm Daniel Moore, your host of Connecting the Gap. Thank you for joining me this week. I'll be back again next week as we continue our studies. Until then, God's word never fails us. God's word has stood the test of time. And through Jesus' death on the cross, he has connected the gap. Thank <laughs> you.